This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today with Simone Riscala, who's currently, you know, you know that I don't typically give you long bios, but there's so much to this bio that I didn't want to cut down and make it shorter. So I'm going to give you as much of it as I possibly can. Uh, Simone Riscala is currently the Director of Program Growth for Endow Groups. I'm really excited to talk to you about these. Uh, When I was working in the parish, we used these groups all the time, and I can't wait to share it with you. But beyond that, she's also an Institute of Catholic Theology Fellow, a Witherspoon John Jay Institute Fellow, and an Acton Institute Fellow. She's led local chapters of the Ecclesial Movement of Communion and Liberation in Virginia, Arizona, and the Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit organization In Defense of Christians. She's also a member of Women Speak for Themselves and is the daughter of immigrants from the Armenian diaspora in Cairo, Egypt, and has a particular interest in matters of religious freedom uh, and culture. You also teach RCIA. You blog over at culturalgypsy.com. You, how do you have this much time? It's such a pleasure to have you here on the show, Simone. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, TL. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So first of all, the how I first came across you and, and the, the work that you do is through the endow groups. And the endow groups are, uh, they are adult faith formation for women in a particular mode that's not really replicated in any other place. Uh, And so would you, before we get into everything else, just kind of lay out for us, what is the vision of Endow uh, in the short elevator speech synopsis? Okay. Let's see if I can do this in the short elevator speech. Well, uh, John Paul II, in line with the popes before him, really believed in the power of well-formed, cultivated women to be game changers for civilization and really like look to women to, to be that, that those powerful forces. So Endow has adopted John Paul II's call for a quote unquote new feminism, looking at post-sexual revolution, how uh, horrific things have been for family life, for marriage, for women, for men, for children, for everybody. Um, so the way that Endow forms the sort of woman who's going to be that helpful cultural game changer is by feeding their intellectual life in small group communities by looking at important church documents. How's that? That's that's great. Now, let's unpack this just a little bit, because some of the terms you used draw to mind uh, some visceral reactions or some presuppositions that would color uh, someone's impression, I think, in a way that is not consistent with what Endow actually is. So whenever we talk about feminism after the sexual revolution, one of the thoughts that might come to mind if you were of a particular stripe is, is quite the opposite. It's uh, anti-intellectualism. It's, it's the idea of, um, of feminism. You know, even as we talk about feminine genius, sometimes uh, I've Mm -hmm. heard people push against that thinking it's just another way to communicate, uh, women in their place and women in the home. And, and what does it look like uh, in, in your mind and in the mind of Endow to, to be intellectually rigorous uh, in this kind of new form of, of feminism that you're talking about? Yeah. So John Paul II, when he calls for a new feminism in a document, Evangelium Vitae on the gospel of life, he's basically saying that the way that we've seen, um, 
feminism expressed after first wave feminism, which was a pro-life, pro-traditional family movement, the way that second and third wave feminism has manifested in, you know, pro-promiscuity, pro-contraception, divorce, all, all those things, abortion, obviously. So um, John Paul II said, look, there was an intuition about women's dignity in first wave feminism that has been lost in second and third wave feminism. So what we need, he says, in Evangelium Vitae, the gospel of life, where he talks about abortion, euthanasia, all those issues, um, is a new feminism. Women who can live out of their dignity, live out of the truth of who they are, deeply rooted in Christ, and who can then become these very holy and powerful forces in the culture, just like the women of the early church were. Mm -hmm. So if you study the early church history, you'll see that there were incredible uh, saints, martyrs, women who, without which Christianity wouldn't have spread. I mean, to the point where even the Roman emperor thought that Christianity was a, 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 a woman's movement, right? Because there were so many converts to the faith because of women. So knowing the power of a virtuous woman to transform civilization and to lift all of humanity up. That's kind of the vision of Endow. And the way that we do this is to come together in small group communities because Christianity is a communal thing. It's a human and communal experience. And to look at the prophetic voice of the church in her documents. So we have study guides, letter to women, obviously, Mulieris Dignitatum, John Paul II's uh, deep letter on the philosophy and theology of what it means to be a woman, but then also other papal documents like Pope Benedict's Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, Vatican II document, Lumen Gentium on the Light of Nations. So what is the church, what is the prophetic voice of the church getting women to read it and then reevaluate their own dignity, their own life, their own personal vocations in the context of what the church is speaking about the truth of the human person? Mm -hmm. Well, and I would think that there's also some part of it. This is not just something for self-reflection and for personal enrichment, or even for that small community of people getting together and doing the, the studies together, not even just for the, the enrichment of that group, but it's intellectual formation for the enrichment of the church and the wider world. Because as you begin to wrestle with these ideas and these thoughts, you're not just changing your mind about them, you are also becoming an amplifier of those ideas and of the minds of the church through the filter of what it means to be a woman and your own personal experience, and then re-echoing that out into your spheres of influence. I mean, you absolutely. I, I was just, my heart was set on fire as you were speaking that way, because I think the tendency or the temptation sometimes is to stay in our cozy little um, sentimental comfort groups, if you will. But the point of, just as you said it, I'm just going to say what you said in a different way. The <laughs> point, I mean, the really, the point is that you you are then Lumen Gentium, right? The document on the role of the lady that we're not supposed to just stay in our cozy Christian bubbles and, you know, feel good about how wonderful it is that we have this incredible Catholic intellectual tradition and truth, but that it's supposed to change us to the point of the conversion that and the continuing conversion that happens in our hearts and minds is then something we can't not be missionary about, something that we can't not go out there in our spheres of influences and share and, and bring people in. So one of the things that I have experienced, and just as I've been observing the world, is that we are living in an, in an increasingly polarized time where 
uh, based on real quick judgments of maybe a phrase that someone says, a buzzword that someone says that draws to mind a certain image. We make assumptions about people very quickly about whether or not we trust them or we want to be in community with them. Um, or, you know, we, we just kind of segment ourselves out even within our, our churches, even within our schools, right? We kind of create our own little cliques that never pushes the boundaries of our own thought, right? So we end up not being formed, but rather forming the world to our own preferences. Um, at the same time, there is a, a lack of deep and true community. Like even as we do this and we try to find people who, uh, who don't maybe make us feel uncomfortable or don't challenge us. And we get into those uh, insular groups. We also are supremely lonely, right? Yeah. There, there's, we find uh, people who agree with us and our talking points on social media, but we don't have deep connections. And so as one of the things that as I was working in faith formation and we had a couple of endowed groups go through uh, every kind of semester, um, we were trying to form our, our communities. And we saw that endowed did that very well because it wasn't just kind of the fill in the blank answers. It actually provoked thought and, and allowed people to, um, to express and stretch those intellectual muscles in a safe environment that also, I mean, that maybe that, that safe environment, it, it felt like home. It felt like community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. It's a safe space to be with like-minded people, uh, to push yourself in intellectually, like you said, uh, stretch those intellectual muscles. Muscles. There is sometimes resistance uh, to do that, right? That there is this. Oh, I don't know. Can I look at Saint Thomas Aquinas? We have studies on Saint Thomas Aquinas, you know, yeah, um, and to feel like, well, I'm I'm not an intellectual, so. I, 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 I'm not interested or I'm not attracted or drawn to that. In which case I have to say that there is no growth in the intellectual life without stretching your intellectual muscles. And it's okay if you don't always understand everything, but you're definitely not going to grow unless you push yourself a little bit. And this is an inherent, not everybody's called to be an intellectual, very few, but every human being is called to intellectual and philosophical thinking and theological thinking and to exercise that power. So I, I, I don't see how we can head towards spiritual maturity if we don't take a look at these ideas. Uh, well, and say, to the, to the point that the, the definition of person uh, is, is a being with an intellect and a will and the yeah. human person is the intellect and the will and the body. So even if you don't feel like you are an intellectual, we have to form our intellect. Um, and, Otherwise, if we are not forming our intellect in the Christian tradition, then we are allowing our intellect either to atrophy or to be formed by everything else that's around us. Absolutely. I think that's why I love to do, when I, when I lecture, I often just go back to speaking about the power of the intellect and the power of the will, our reason. I also include the emotions in there because we're also bodily creatures, but it's such fundamental information. I don't know how you can approach life as a human being effectively, successfully well, if you aren't at least aware of what it means to have powers of the intellect and what it means to be free, truly free, how those powers operate, what it, how do they communicate 
with our lower appetites, with our bodies, with our emotions, who's running the show? I mean, if, if, if you don't kind of refine the data, if, if your intellect is that internal GPS system, you know, that's directing your decision-making and therefore the kind of life that you're living and the choices that you're making, if you don't continually refine that knowledge and put solid data, in other words, become more and more educated, that's going to severely hamper the kind of life you're going to live, the choices you're going to make. So it's going to hamper your happiness. So it has to be not just understood in and of itself, but then the power itself has to be cultivated. And, and nobody starts out uh, intellectually adept, right? In any capacity. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, even if it's challenging to say, oh gosh, you're going to make me read this study, the titles in Latin, right? And, and let's, let's be honest, uh, encyclicals and, and popes, they like their run on sentences. Yeah. Right? right. Paragraph long sentences is not, not uncommon, but, but it's the kind of thing that as you get invested in it, as you begin to spend a little bit of time with it, it begins to make more and more sense without really too much pain or effort. Yeah, encyclicals are rough. Papal documents can be rough. Some are not not all, not all are created equal. Some are easier to digest than others, right? I, I we have I love that you just went there. We have to be real about that. I think that's why Endow is so helpful because what it will choose is it, it creates some of our studies. You read the entire document word for word. Others you're reading selections of it. But there's someone that has with each study guide prioritized. Yeah. the ideas that need to be addressed and, 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 and look at that deeply. And education is not a, you know, we live in such an, a, a materialistic quanti quantity world. Education's not like that. It's something mm -hmm. that has to be, you know, it's, it's about the quality and it's about internalizing the knowledge, not just encountering it or memorizing, although memorizing is important too, but, but actually internalizing the knowledge so that it becomes something that's that's wisdom in how you operate. So that's, yeah, we, we want to feel really good about how much we've read or how many books we've read or how many endowsies we've done, but but education isn't that sort of thing. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Simone Riscala, who's currently the director of program growth for endow groups. And that's what we're talking about right now. Um, let's, we've been pushing on this intellectual formation side, but there's something, as you mentioned, it's not just about reading more and more books. There's something about doing this in community um, that, that sets it apart, that makes it different than just going through the encyclical on your own. So let's talk, what, what does it look like to sit in a group with people who might have different opinions on a topic and might disagree on the nuance or the finer points to go through and wrestle with the teaching of the church in this way through an endowed group. Yeah. I mean, one of the great benefits of an endowed group on the utilitarian end of things is that there's no homework. You show up <laughs> <laughs> and, and you read aloud. Okay. Yeah. And I hate to, I hate to have a utilitarian incentive, but we are busy people. Um, you know, so that really helps when you don't have homework, but there is a more noble, reason for reading aloud. And that's the, the incarnational method of hearing the words spoken aloud to you in a group. There's something different about reading something on your own than there is about hearing it aloud or hearing it aloud and looking at the text. So that's first, uh, you know, I think in a, as, as Douglas Minson once said, I think that's an inspired approach. 
And then secondly, to be able to wrestle with the ideas, you know, and this isn't new. I mean, you know, Socratic seminars and this goes all the way back um, to be able to encounter the ideas with the insight of your fellow group members. There's there's ideas and there's insights and there's perspectives that, again, is so you couldn't have necessarily on your own. And that's very enriching to have in a group. But it's not just the intellectual life for its own sake. It's the intellectual life, which is the true, the true point of philosophy for the experience and for, for the, for life to change and and to achieve, to get closer and closer to what we mean by the good life. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a bunch of snooty people sitting around. It's not that at all. Not that I would say that I'm one of those snooty people, but you know, it it is something ordered to, to, to life and to culture. Well, and going back to, you know, talking about Socratics, it's not sophistry. It's not just sitting around and exactly. and stroking our ego and patting ourselves on the back because I was able to use one of my $10 words today, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> and and those, that's the thing, those, those $10 words are, are important because mm-hmm. they teach us something. On the other hand, if we just remain at that level, then we come, yeah. become kind of insufferable kinds of people. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, but but they're they're ordered to something much more rich, which is the whole point of the intellectual life in the first place. Within this, I, I recall an experience that I had going through a um, a particularly rigorous intellectual thing with a group of guys. <clears throat> not not uh, unlike an endow group. I can't speak to my endow experience because I bought the books and and helped other people facilitate it. But um, I've never been through one because it's not for men. It's. <laughs> You know, it's, I, I was, I was excluded, but that's all right. Although um, some men have done endowed groups. Really? Yes. Our I, leaders did not let me do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand why. There are some, like the Catholic Medical Association did yeah. our suffering one together. There's, so there, okay. there's a lot of, you can, you can be apostolically creative, but okay. the tangent. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, so within this, uh, this particular person um, was of a different persuasion of a different uh, mindset, probably a little bit different politically from me. And, and I thought he was just way over on this side and he thought I was way over on the other side. And somehow with, even though we were well on our guard against it, and I'm not exactly sure, somehow through the, the intellectual uh, conversation that we had through going through that same material, either that material formed us or the formation program we were informed us, or just our kind of butting heads with one another in a charitable kind, maybe even a little bit uh, playfully antagonistic way, both of us were formed closer toward the other. uh, And out of that has grown a really close friendship to the point that that's a person I still confide in and rely on that if I had just to, to steal the phrase from, um, from St. Paul, if I had just gathered around myself, uh, teachers who told me what my itching ears wanted to hear, (laughs) I would have missed out on that friendship and on the formation and on the maturity that came to both of us from having to wrestle with those ideas, those difficult ideas, uh, from opposite perspectives together. Oh, I love that testimony. That is just awesome. And I it reminds me of our Endow study on Catholic social teaching mm-hmm. because the women on one side of the political spectrum are like, oh, 
no, 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 I, I can't do that. And, and and so to the other, right? right. So no one's trusting anyway, which is kind of a failure of the American Catholic Church yeah. that even the way we approach our own social doctrine is through our own bias and our own political lens. Whereas any wherever you happen to be on the political spectrum, you're going to be challenged by Catholic social teaching done properly because you can't put church in a box and you can't put it in an American political category. So I, I think of all of our studies, that one in particular can produce the, the sort of fruit that you experienced with this friend of yours, because Christ is so much bigger yeah. than our own ideologies and categories. Well, and you bring up an interesting point, and, and perhaps from your upbringing, you have more perspective into this being uh, the daughter of immigrants. Um, I, th I th see a number of people who assume that the, the American Catholic experience is synonymous with the Catholic experience. Mm -hmm. and they, so they experience this, this polarization that we all see around us, and they just assume that that's the church everywhere. And so whether they're reading a news story coming out of the Vatican and they're imposing political perspective on it, uh, I think that that breeds, one, a really narrow view of what Catholicism is, but also a distrust for things that we should be trusting. Yeah, abs absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to not just hear what commentators are saying about the church, yeah. but to look at the documents themselves. There's wherever you land, faith-wise, conversion-wise, political-wise, you will be challenged. And there's the church is not a pseudo-intellectual, if we're going to put the church as a, as, you know, because that I think is the problem are the pseudo-intellectuals. The, the church's teachings are so rich, they ex they completely shatter our categories, our biases. So I think if you want to really understand the church, again, with all her mystery, you have to look at the text yourself. And I think that's why Endow is so important, is that we're not, we're not just, um, you know, saying, here, read this person's take on it, but, but look at the, look at the text itself. Let it let it speak to you directly. Look at the primary source. So I think I think that's important. So, as we've been talking, someone has been listening and their ears are perked. They're interested. They've never heard about Endow before, uh, and now they want to know. Okay, how do I bring this into my community? Whether that's bringing it into uh, a parish program or whether that's me grabbing uh, ten or twelve of my closest friends and wrestling with these ideas together in our home. What does it look like for that person to get equipped and to facilitate or to help find someone to facilitate an endowed group where they are? Yeah, I love that you said facilitate or find someone <laughs> because sometimes you know you're not going to be the facilitator, right. but you know that perfect person who just, you know, has has that drive. Although I challenge people who think that they can't facilitate to, uh, to also, you know, because again, the facilitator from the French facile to make easy. Right. right. <laughs> so you're not, you're not the teacher. You're not the professor. You don't have to be an expert, uh, you know, and all of that. You, you, you simply are that facilitator, the person who makes facile, the person who makes easy breaking open the study guide. So. Well, and to a large point, because of the way the study guides are set up, um, you really only have to be good at hospitality or at directing conversation, not oh at the information. 
I, you, you know, I'm stealing that for future interviews because you really only have to be good at hospital. I mean, truly, I mean, there's an, there's an art to facilitating in a sense that sometimes the extroverts could take over. And what about the introverts, you know, who are having their deep, profound thoughts and, you know, so there is that, but yes, it, it is primarily about hospitality, which father Giustani said, second to giving one's life is the greatest form of sacrifice because you're creating that safe space emotionally and intellectually for those ideas and those people to come together. And that can be kind of scary sometimes, but it's a, it's, it's, and that's why it's so powerful. But I would just say, come to our website, fill out the form that we have. There's a, a, you know, right now it's called a join a group form. We're going to change the name of it, but it's basically going to get you on our newsletter list. It's going to help us connect you with other women in your local area. You might not need that. You might know, hey, I, I've got those, I've got that five to 10 group of women I'm going to have in my home, or I can advertise through my parish, but it'll get you into our system so we can reach out to you and connect with you. But it is as simple as deciding who who, who the women are going to be, whether it's going to be private or public, missionary, or just your own little pod, uh, and then choosing the study. Mm-hmm. And you've got a number of studies, everything from uh, the life of, of, of St. Catherine of Siena all the way up through Thomas Aquinas and then the, the current uh, papal documents that, that we all need to be wrestling with. We have so many studies. Yeah, we've got the four female doctors of the church. We've got Pope Benedict. We've got JP2's documents. We have them on our curriculum pathway. We have, okay, if you want to look at the feminine genius, take a look at this. Oh, great. You, you, you want to look at church history, that kind of things? Look at these. You want to look at, um, on, you want to do something that's more prayer and healing bent, look at these studies. So we've got these kind of overarching categories, depending on where the Holy Spirit is nudging you. Um, right now uh, and throughout 2023, each month we're doing a, um, a Zoom meeting, a webinar, going through Mulieris Dignitatum, John Paul II's touchstone text on the nature and dignity of women. This isn't meant to replace your own endow study, mm-hmm. but it is meant to give a taste to women who are new to endow of what an endow study could be like. And also for, you know, con- ret- you know, lifelong hosts and yeah. you know, people who are just interested in what is, I've never heard of the feminine genius, or I've always thought the church is like oppressive to women. What does she really say about what it means to be a woman? So whether you plan to host or not, if you're interested in that, I offer that to you, and you can find that on our events page. Um, and, and it's and it's important. We have women in there who, you know, they they do question a lot of what John Paul II has yeah. to say, and I'm very happy about that because if we're just talking to ourselves, like you said, you know, what's the point? We need to be having those harder conversations, and we're yeah. capable of it. Yeah. We're talking today with Simone Riscala, who's currently the Director of Program Growth for Endow Groups, endowgroups.org. Go to the website today, sign up for a group, find out more information, sign up for this uh, this webinar, and we're going to continue this conversation right after the break. Come be a part of our ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Simone Riscala, the Director of Program Growth for Endow Groups. That's endowgroups.org. You are deeply entrenched in the intellectual life, um, and and you're deeply entrenched in uh, in the intellectual life as a woman, particularly. Now, uh, I don't have that experience because I am stuck in my own head. Uh, <laughs> and this question probably isn't going to make a whole lot of sense because you're also stuck in your own head. But uh, in the conversations you've had, what differences do you see uh, between the feminine intellectual life and the masculine intellectual life? No one's ever asked me that, TL. That that's incredible. What what is it even? What are the differences? Do this I is what I want to know. I don't know. I mean, I think that there there's, you know, before I entered women's ministry, I I think the I thought the idea of women's ministry was kind of silly. Why do we need to have these same sex groups? You know, what's what is what does it mean? Why I mean, shouldn't shouldn't men also be reading Moliere Stignatatum? Shouldn't men also be reading Humana Vitae? Shouldn't they also be reading? Of course they should. But there's a way in which I think women need the the, the way in which women's community looks differently than men. And I think that for women, because we are so busy in our lives and there's so much expected of us, especially in this culture that expects women to be just everything and, and, and you can't have it all, but you keep hearing that thrown out there, you know, women can have, no, you really can't. You're a limited creature. You have to make choices. You have to prioritize. Um, it's a big lie, but to be able to cultivate the intellectual life, these, these spaces of leisure and not leisure in, in an entertaining, amusing kind of reduced definition of leisure, but true leisure, the intellectual life sought in community for its own sake. I think that takes a huge decision. That's a value that a woman has to come to, to say, you know what? I actually need this time to carve out this hour and a half to two hours a week, you know, for these three months segments of an endowed group. Uh, to 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 feed my soul, and I and I need to do this in community, especially because so many women. In every conference I speak at, I talk to women after my talk, and whether you're single or married or whatever your state in life is, there is this profound loneliness mm-hmm. of of finding other women who are like minded, who share my ideals, and who just you know again, you don't have to agree on everything or, not, right. or struggling with the same thing. But somebody that wants to take the question of life seriously and my place in it seriously. And I'll lastly just say that there's there's a particular assault on women's dignity in this culture that's different than men, which makes having these groups focused on women's dignity through dignifying the intellect ever more important. Mm-hmm. You brought up something there that I want to maybe reframe a little bit, that you talked about the the promise that's made of women can have it all. Um and and how that's not an accurate promise that it's a a lie within that um i feel like the expectation there's the promise that women can have it all but then there's also the expectation that women will do it all right so you have to be a uh, super mom you have to take care of the house you have to make you know you have to go and and work outside the home and then come back and still do all the things uh 
uh, there is this expectation, and I've seen it even in my own wife, although she would probably shoot me for saying it on air, that she <laughs> has to do it all and that therefore she doesn't have time for those pursuits that would feed her soul and bring her joy. And so uh, I, as you were talking, I, the phrase came across my, my mind of uh, the pursuit of the intellectual life as self-care. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that we think think about it in those routes. You know, s- someone might hear us talking about the endow group and think that's another thing I've got to put on my plate rather than um, looking at it from this, this standpoint of this will bring me so much satisfaction that it's worth it and I deserve it. And it's not a task I have to do. It's something I get to do for myself. That's a fantastic reframe because the last thing we need is more guilt on women to do, you know, be part of everything. And, and religious consumerism is a real thing, yes. you know, it's, 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 a, it's weird and it's a real thing. So thank you for that reframe because it is self-care. And it's interesting because the opposite of leisure is the vice of sloth or acedia or chadia, however you want to pronounce it. The root of the word is lack of care, hmm. is lack of care. So it's exactly as you say, this is not something like, oh, I have to be guilted and now I have to, now I have to cultivate the intellectual life. Great. Another thing that I (laughs) have to do, but more, just as you said that you get more time back when you have these moments of self-care, of intellectual self-care, because you see yourself in a new way, you re-examine your dignity again, and then you're more easily able to say no to the 15 things you probably should have already said no to because you've remembered that, oh yeah, God is real. He loves me. He's called me to the particular and not to everything. Mm-hmm. And there's more, you know, Edith Stein says before a woman can really become that presence of change, she has to be like deeply rooted in herself and deeply rooted in Christ because there's a lot to say there's a lot we're guilted about and there's a lot to say no to. So you have you have to have these places and spaces of, oh yeah, I'm called to this and that particular thing mm-hmm. and it's not everything. And I yeah. can be confident in that. I don't have to compare myself to a million other women. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, you know, the, going to the you've got this beautiful uh, symbiosis between the intellectual life and the communal life here um, that as you're investing in these groups, you're talking about saving time later. I'm thinking about my wife just had um, a a medical need and we had to kind of arrange, you know, what do we do with our, with our children during this need? What, how do we manage meals during this need? And the time that was invested in community made that difficult time easier because the community provided support. And so there is this, you know, it's not ever wasting time to invest in community. Oh, absolutely. I mean, our, you know, our, our CEO, Annette always talks about how in her group, it's a beautiful story. They were doing the the document on suffering Mm -hmm. and just, you know, there was, and then of course there's everybody's, start to think about all their crosses and their suffering and the way that the community was able to provide for each other in very practical ways, because they all got to hear each other's stories of the ways in which they were suffering and, and someone's mother was dying and the way that the community stepped in to help in that, uh, situation. And it's exactly right. Christianity is not a me and Jesus 
right. faith. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a communal thing. And my own conversion came through the intellectual life primarily, which is kind of rare, but it's it was sealed through the communal life. So as we wrap up here today, Simone, I'm, I'm curious, as the director for program growth for Dow groups, you, you don't get to be in that position very long without having gone through a couple of endowed groups yourself. Um, <laughs> do you have a particularly story of a, a moment where you felt fulfilled or saw the value of the group beyond just it being another study? Um, that it really kind of cemented what it was that y'all were doing and why it is that you're doing the work you're doing. Oh my gosh. There are so many stories. Um, there's but one for you particular. Like oh, one for me in particular. <sighs> one for me in particular. I mean, I do love our study on Edith Stein. Mm -hmm. And I think for me in particular, especially because I did that study during COVID isolation, the height of it all, feeling really sorry for myself. <laughs> Lots of self-pity. With the rest of us, right? Right. <laughs> Just, and then here was this woman that I, you know, encountered in, a, in, a, in a more deeply who had every reason to fall into victimhood mentality. I mean, she was actually a victim of sexism and racism and all of these things, right? Like she had legitimate things, legitimate. I mean, not that, not that what we were going through wasn't legitimate or not right. that my crimes aren't legitimate, but in a very dramatic way. I mean, she first didn't get to become a professor because she was a woman and then later because she was Jewish. And then even when she was a Carmelite Catholic nun, she still got sent to Auschwitz, you know, and she could have wallowed in self-pity, but instead she became a saint. Yeah. And so for me personally, it just helped me deep more deeply into, there's always going to be a reason for me to fall into self-pity and victimhood mentality. And this culture sure does love to feed that. And here was this woman that was helping me understand you really can become a saint no matter what your circumstances. And you really can cultivate beauty when culture and society around you is oh so dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as someone is signing up, they're going to endowgroups.org. They're looking over the website. Uh, they're filling out the form the join a group form that helps them get connected with y'all. So you can either connect them to a local group or to uh, give them the resources to start their own group. Um, for someone who has never gone through any of this before, do you have a specific track or a study that is kind of a training wheels study that helps them kind of get started? I would say our mo our to date most popular and touchstone study is the letter to women. It's a letter that John Paul II wrote to every woman of the world. And he, so you don't have to be even be Christian. Mm -hmm. And he said, it, he says in the letter, I'm speaking directly now to the heart of every woman. Every woman should read this document. So I think start with that study guide. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. We've been talking today with Simone Riscala, the director of program growth for Endow Groups. You should go right now. Well, right now. at the at the end of the at the end of the show. At the end of the show, you should go over to endowgroups.org, look over their offerings. Uh, Simone, it's been such uh, an immense pleasure to talk with you today. Likewise, TL. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Simone Riscala, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. 
If you're looking for more, I've got good news because each and every week we record an extra segment uh, with more content. Uh, This week we took a look at buzzwords and active listening and so much more. Uh, We record that extra segment in gratitude for all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And so we'd like to explore extra content and uh, take a couple of different directions in our conversations with our guest after the broadcast is over. You can learn more about that over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more about the community and consider whether or not that might be a fit for you as well. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, original language research, and so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, and we hear this. Consider your own calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Rather, God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly and despised of the world, those who count for nothing, to reduce to nothing those who are something, so that no human being might boast before God. It is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, as well as righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, whoever boasts should boast in the Lord. That reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, as I look at this verse, and the reason that I kind of gravitated towards this verse today is thinking towards that last part of our conversation as we're talking about the importance of community. And as I was working in parish ministry and trying to find folks who could help facilitate small groups, one of the things that always came up was, you know what, I, I don't have that skill set. I'm not, I'm, I don't have all the knowledge that I need to be able to lead a, a small group. I don't, I don't know the information and I, I don't feel like I can do that. Well, here's here's the truth of the matter, though, is that God calls us before we are capable. And he does this all throughout Scripture. I mean, if you look in the book of Judges and you see the kinds of people that God calls to be the deliverers of his, of his people, he calls the small and the weak and the insignificant. If you look all the way from Gideon, you look at uh, King David himself and all of these uh these leaders that he rose up, from Deborah to Esther to to so many other heroes of the faith, these are people who, on first glance, are not the people that you and I might choose. But God chooses the weak so that as he brings about his plan, as he brings about uh, salvation for the community, as he brings about strength for the community, he is the one that receives the glory. So he calls us. He calls us when we are in the midst of our weakness because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So if you're considering, if you're looking and saying, you know, I really do feel like I need community and I don't know where to find it, 
maybe the place that you find it is to go to the church staff and say, I, I really want to help facilitate community. I feel a draw towards community and and I I have this thing in mind. Perhaps it's um one of these endow studies. I have this thing in mind and I, I don't know how to do it, but I'm willing to be present and to serve the needs of the church for the sake of building God's kingdom. And you will be amazed at the graces that God gives you when you step out of your comfort zone, like Peter getting out of the boat and walking on water. You'll be amazed at the graces that God gives you and the consolations that you receive. And as you see the, the, the goodness that comes from being willing to be a servant, you'll boast not in your own strength and your own abilities and, oh, look what I was able to pull off, but rather to say, look at what God did in the midst of, of my own inadequacies. Look at the ways that God built the community in my parish. Look at the ways that my faith has, has grown from just being willing to give that fiat, that fiat that Mary gave. Let it be done to me, Lord, according to your word. Our reading from Church History today, we're going to look at Pope St. John Paul II's letter to women that was mentioned here earlier in the episode. The Church sees in Mary the highest expression of the feminine genius, and she finds in her a source of constant inspiration. Mary called herself the handmaid of the Lord. Through obedience to the Word of God, she accepted her lofty yet not easy vocation as wife and mother in the family of Nazareth. Putting herself at God's service, she also put herself at the service of others, a service of love. Precisely through this service, Mary was able to experience in her life a mysterious but authentic reign. It is not by chance that she is invoked as the Queen of Heaven and Earth. The entire community of believers thus invokes her. Many nations and people call upon her as their queen for her to reign. For her, to reign is to serve. Her service is to reign. This is the way in which authority needs to be understood, both in the family and in society and the church. Each person's fundamental vocation is revealed in this reigning, for each person has been created in the image of the one who is Lord of heaven and earth and called to be his adopted son or daughter in Christ. Man is the only creature on earth which God willed for its own sake as the Second Vatican Council teaches, it significantly adds that man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. The maternal reign of Mary consists in this. She who was in all her being a gift for her son has also become a gift for the sons and daughters of the whole human race awakening profound trust in those who seek her guidance along the difficult paths of life on the way to their definitive and transcendent destiny. Each one reaches this final goal by fidelity to his or her own vocation. This goal provides meaning and direction for the earthly labors of men and women alike. In this perspective of service, which, when it is carried out with freedom reciprocity and love express the true royal nature of mankind, 
one can also appreciate that the presence of a certain diversity of roles is in no way prejudicial towards women, provided that this diversity is not the result of an arbitrary imposition, but is rather an expression of what is specific to being male and female. This issue also has a particular application within the Church. If Christ, by his free and sovereign choice, clearly attested to by the gospel and by the Church's constant tradition, entrusted only to men the task of being an icon of his countenance as shepherd and bridegroom of the Church through the exercise of the ministerial priesthood, this in no way detracts from the role of women, or for that matter, from the role of the other members of the Church who are not ordained to the sacred ministry, since all share equally in the dignity proper to the common priesthood based on baptism. These role distinctions should not be viewed in accordance with the criteria of functionality typical in human societies. Rather, they must be understood according to the particular criteria of the sacramental economy, that is, the economy of signs which God freely chooses in order to become present in the midst of humanity. Furthermore, precisely in line with this economy of signs, even if apart from the sacramental sphere, there is great significance to that womanhood, which was lived in such a sublime way by Mary. In fact, there is present in the womanhood of a woman who believes, and especially in a woman who is consecrated, a kind of inherent prophecy, a powerfully evocative symbolism, a highly significant iconic character which finds its full realization in Mary, and which also aptly expresses the very essence of the church as community consecrated with the integrity of a virgin heart to become the bride of Christ and the mother of believers. When we consider the iconic complementarity of male and female roles, two of the church's essential dimensions are seen in a clearer light, the Marian principle and the apostolic Petrine principle. On the other hand, as I wrote to priests in this year's Holy Thursday letter, the ministerial priesthood, according to Christ's plan, is an expression not of dominion, but of service. The Church urgently needs, in her daily self-renewal in the light of the Word of God, to emphasize this fact ever more clearly, both by developing the spirit of communion and by carefully fostering all those means of participation which are properly hers and also by showing respect for and promoting the diverse personal and communal charisms which the Spirit of God bestows for the building up of the Christian community and the service of humanity. In this vast domain of service, the Church's 2,000-year history, for all its historical conditioning, has truly experienced the genius of woman. From the heart of the Church there have emerged women of the highest caliber, who have left an impressive and beneficial mark in history. I think of the great line of woman martyrs, saints, and famous mystics. In particular way, I think of St. Catherine of Siena and St. Teresa of Avila, whom Pope Paul VI of happy memory granted the title of Doctors of the Church. And how can we overlook the many women inspired by faith who are responsible for initiatives of extraordinary social importance, especially in serving the poorest of the poor? The life of the Church in the third millennium will certainly not be lacking in new and surprising manifestations of the feminine genius. Necessary emphasis should be placed on the genius of women not only by considering great and famous women of the past or present, 
but also those ordinary women who reveal the gift of their womanhood by placing themselves at the service of others in their everyday lives. For in giving themselves to others each day, women fulfill their deepest vocation. Perhaps more than men, women acknowledge the person because they see persons with their hearts. They see them independently of various ideological or political systems. They see others in their greatness and limitations. They try to go out to to them and help them. In this way, the basic plan of the Creator takes flesh in the history of humanity, and there is constantly revealed in the variety of vocations that beauty, not merely physical, but above all spiritual, which God bestows from the very beginning on all and in a particular way, on women. May Mary, Queen of Love, watch over women and their mission in service of humanity, of peace, of the spread of God's kingdom. That reading again comes from Pope St. John Paul II's letter to women. There are two extremes that we need to avoid as we try to get a hermeneutic to understand what it is he's saying. Uh, The first is this. It's really easy for us to look at the difference between men and women, and as he's talking about complementarity, to assume that it is merely a utilitarian division of labor and tasks, to think of it merely as a stereotyping rather than as an icon. Remember, the icon points to a deeper mystery, and a stereotype is just a generalization that we can kind of simplify the world. One simplifies the world, and one makes the world more complex and more mysterious. And so uh, there is something profound about the way that we experience life differently as men and women that can't be just boiled down to trying to homogenize our experience as men or as women. Uh, There's still a lot of, of depth and and diversity even within those experiences. The other side, apart from trying to make things simple by um, by stereotyping, is the other direction saying, well, there's no difference at all and we all just experience life the way we experience it. And I, you know, the whole Annie get your gun, anything you can do, I can do better. Um, and I think that there's something missing there as well because it's more than a competition. It is a, a fulfillment. We understand fully when we understand together. So as we experience life from our different places, we inform the other. Uh, I am enriched by the way that my my wife and the other women in my life uh, experience the faith and share that faith with me and the, the books that I read, the people I talk to. And, and I hope likewise that they are enriched uh, by my experience and my expression of the faith, and that our difference is important, but it's not reducible to stereotype. So let's embrace what Pope St. John Paul II is is giving to us today. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, through the intercession of Mary, to help us more clearly see the full picture of our faith through our interaction with one another. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link to learn more and be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. 
All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.